Hello, this is uh, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, and you are about to listen to bonus episode number 10. Uh, I do these bonus shows now and again because I have almost 300 uh, uh, Dimland radio shows that just aired on ZTalk Radio, although they are available at ZTalk Radio if you go to the show archives. You can, you can get almost all of the uh, first 300 episodes. There's just a handful missing. Uh, I don't know what happened, just a handful. And, uh, uh, well, the reason I'm doing this, and you might be able to hear it in my voice, I got a bad cold, and I'm really trying not to sniffle, and I'm suppressing a cough as best I can while I do this little setup for this bonus episode. Uh, And I figured, rather than try to do that for an entire show, Let's just uh, go ahead and record a new one, or not a new one, let's give you a bonus episode. Okay, this one goes back, way back, to June 11, 2011, and it actually has a guest on the show. That's right, I did do it a few times, but don't ask me to do guests anymore. Too much work. Anyway... Uh, this guest is actually fairly well-known, especially among skeptics. It's Ben Radford, and uh, he has a podcast now called Squaring the Strange. He, uh, he, he's written and co-written numerous books about skepticism and, and you know, being skeptical of lake monsters and skeptical of uh, me, the media and how to do uh, uh, paranormal investigations scientifically. In fact, uh, the book... Uh, he had written about that uh, scientific paranormal investigation. I think that's what it's called. Um, he's uh, the, he had just written that and put it, published it when I interviewed him for this show. He was very gracious. Uh, this show goes a little longer than my normal uh, uh, podcasts, uh, programs, whatever you want to call them, uh, because uh, I talked to him for about an hour, and um, and let's see, and then I do have my little thing that I talk about before playing the interview with Ben and uh, had to had to talk about the weather so if you want to sit through that or fast forward that's fine but uh, yeah I think that's about all I got to say um, because I feel a cough coming so uh, if I have everything ready I think I do uh, sit back and enjoy uh, Dimland Radio from uh, June 11 2011 it was show number 58 and I actually had a guest uh, uh, world-famous skeptic, Ben Radford. All right, here it is. This is a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z-Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. (laughs) 
And welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I am your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons, and uh, I'm very excited tonight. Uh, remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. Uh, why am I so excited tonight? Well, you know, anytime you hear uh, the Tonight Tonight, Hot Damn Tonight playing at the beginning of my show, you know I've got an interview. And I do have an interview tonight. I have an interview with what I would consider an A-list skeptic. Uh, he's one of those, he's one of the fairly well-known, especially in the skeptical circles. His name is Benjamin Radford. He's, uh, he's going to be on tonight. In fact, tonight's going to be a bit of an extended uh, Dimland Radio. I'm not sure how much longer past my normal time I will go, but the interview itself lasts over an hour. So uh, I got permission to go ahead and go along, and I'm going to do that tonight. Uh, so before I get on to uh, this, uh, the interview, I just wanted to talk about this little, talk about the weather. <laughs> Holy crap, was it hot last Tuesday here up in the, in the great northern part of the country. Uh, in the uh, Minnesota here, in the Twin Cities, the, uh, the, we set a new record for high temperature uh, I mean, all-time records for as long as they've been keeping records, going back I don't know, 150 years or so, something like that. I'm not quite sure. And uh, we set a new record. Yes, it got to 45 degrees. Now, that's Fahrenheit. I'm telling you, that's hot. No, okay, I'm teasing you there. Uh, you know, it's like in Minnesota, we're always cold up here. Well, uh, actually, it got to 103 degrees, beating the previous high temperature record of 102 degrees, which was set back in, uh, let's see, what was it, J July 31st, 1988, and I remember that day, at least I think I'm remembering it properly, because that was back when I was working for Wendy's, yes, the restaurant, Wendy's, and uh, I, I looked it up to see what day that was, it was a Sunday, and uh, at that time at Wendy's, I was working every Saturday and Sunday morning, I'd open the store and, uh, you know, work until, I think I got there about 7 in the morning and work until noon or something. I'm not sure. Um, or later, probably later. But anyway, uh, and I, I would get a ride to the place, to Wendy's. Uh, my dad would give me a ride in the morning, and, and then I'd walk home. And I'd be wearing my Wendy's clothes, the polyester clothes, I think they were. Well, the shirt might have been cotton. I'm, not, I'm trying to remember. It doesn't matter. Anyway, and I'd walk, it's about two miles or maybe more that I would walk home, and that was the day. I was walking home that day. It was 102 degrees. Well, this last Tuesday, 103 degrees. It was hot. Yeah, oh, I know you folks out in Arizona and New Mexico and all those places. So you say, ah, that's nothing. But when you, when you live in a part of the world that can have a temperature... Uh, in the middle of winter, in the depths of winter, where the high temperature might not break zero degrees, might not break minus 10 degrees. That can happen up here. It has happened up here. I've lived through that. Uh, and then you get into the summer, and it gets to 103. That's, that's a range. You get a range. And in fact, not only that, the range from, uh, uh, from Tuesday to Friday to today... Today's high temperature was 73 degrees. That's a 30 degree temperature difference lower than it was uh, on Tuesday. And, and the, 
average high for this time of year up here in the Twin Cities is about 77 degrees. That's average. It's not normal. It's average. Don't call it normal. Call it average because it changes over time. Anyway, and normal. What is normal? Anyway, uh, but the next day after Tuesday, Wednesday, it was the temperature got up to maybe 80 degrees. And then by Friday, I think Friday, I don't think we bust, I don't think we got higher than 60 degrees for the temperature. It's very weird, very weird. Next week, they say the temperatures is going to be in the, are going to be in the 70s through most of the week and start heading up and toward the 80 degree range at the end of the week. So, enough about the weather. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's enough of my yakking. Let's boogie. Uh, okay, so uh, as I said, I do, I do have a terrific interview with Benjamin Radford. Um, I should warn you guys ahead of time. Uh, a couple of moments in there, Ben does he swears a couple of times. He says BS without uh, making it the initials, <laughs> uh, which is you know he only does it a couple of times. And you're adults, you can handle it. So I just. Giving you a warning, heads up. In case you're listening to this and uh, you know you downloaded it and get your kids running around, maybe you listen to it that way. You know, just to warn you. I, I you know, and I don't remember exactly when it happens, so just you know, be warned. It's there. It's okay. We can handle it. Uh, anyway, um, so uh, let's see. Uh, so Wednesday night, uh, I sat down with Ben via Skype. Skype is so cool. And I recorded this uh, uh, this just over an hour long interview, which I'll break up into three parts. I'll, I will take a couple of breaks just to kind of you know cleanse your palate, you know. And, uh, and so I should tell you about Benjamin Radford, in case you don't know. He is an investigator and research fellow uh, with the committee the committee of uh, Skeptical Inquiry, and deputy editor of the Skeptical Inquirer Science Magazine. He's a columnist for Discovery News and LiveScience.com. He has written hundreds of articles on various scientific and skeptical subjects and is author of five books so far. He's got a couple more coming. He'll mention those. Um, And these books include Scientific Paranormal Investigation, How to Solve Unexplained Mysteries. We talk about that one a fair amount tonight. He, and his most recent book is Tracking the Chupacabra, the Vi- Vampire Beast in Fact, Fiction, and Folklore. We don't talk too much about that one, but the Chupacabra does come up. Uh, ben is also a co-host, along with uh, Blake Smith and Dr. Karen Stolzno, of a skeptical podcast uh, called Monster Talk. He gives talks all over the place. He's been featured on television and in radio. Uh, he's even directed an animated film called Clicker Clatter, and he has created a board game called Playing Gods. Interesting. And uh, you can learn more about him at his website, which is benjaminradford.com. And I will link to that in the show notes, which will go up sometime after the show or sometime tomorrow. So check my show notes if you want to get some links. And uh, so as if he didn't have enough to do already... He, uh, he was my guest tonight. Uh, he Well, we did this Wednesday, remember. So um, I started off at, uh, with Ben by asking him uh, how he uh, became a skeptic and how he got himself going into the direction of a skeptical uh, investigator, a scientific paranormal investigator. And that's where I'm going to uh, take off this interview. So uh, I'll be able to just let this play 
and join you guys in the chat room. So this is my interview with Benjamin Radford. And again, we started off by talking uh, what was the path he took to becoming a skeptic and a, a scientific paranormal investigator. Well, uh, th uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's good, good to talk to you. Um, yeah, the, uh, the the path to being a uh, an X Files type it's a it's a it's a strange story. Uh, although I guess it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, basically, you know, I, I grew up like like most people, I think, uh, with an interest in the paranormal and the and you know monsters and psychics and and things like that. And I remember being um, a young teenager. Uh, and even before that, I would read stories and magazines and books and stuff, usually for like pulp novel type things from the 50s mm -hmm. uh, by authors like Frank Edwards and others. And um, I was always intrigued by these books, and they would you know, have stories about you know monsters and London dungeons and Bermuda Triangles and UFOs that supposedly crashed and this and that and the other. Sure. Um, and I was always fascinated by them. Um, and for a while, I was—I uh, don't want to say I was a complete believer in the paranormal, but I certainly—I certainly had uh, some time when I was—I um, was making runes, for example, the Nordic runes, you know, okay. the symbols that have all the power and divination type stuff. And I made some runes. I got a book on runes, like, yeah, this is kind of interesting. And you know, mm -hmm. so I—I I got some pieces of like rock or pottery or something, and I—I I took a nail and I scratched in my own runes, and like, <laughs> oh, this must be super powerful magic or something. <laughs> And, um, yeah, and, you know, I, I enjoyed these sorts of things and, and, and I read about them. And, uh, but after a while, um, I kind of got, um, I became sort of disillusioned with them because what I realized was that most of the books and magazines and, and authors that I was reading, they didn't do any actual investigation. Mm -hmm. um, there was lots of stories and lots of anecdotes and lots of, you know, everybody knows the UFOs, blah, 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 and this and that and, and, and this and that, and um, and I began sort of saying, well, hold on here. Uh, how does everyone know that? And you know, like for example, with the runes or astrology, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm I started wondering, well, you know, I, I'm allegedly a Libra, sure. and I'm thinking, well, you know, this this astrologer is saying that this person knows something about me based upon what day I was born, without having without having met me or anything else. Mm -hmm. And like, well, if you're going to tell me that I'm these characteristics. How do you know? Where 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 did you get this? Did you did you discover this on your own? Did you read this in a book? Did you did you read this okay. on the back of a, yeah. a uh, on the back of a bubblegum wrapper? You know wh <laughs> where did, where where did you get this information? So, and what I what I soon realized was that there was little or no investigation. It was all just stories and anecdotes. And um and I decided that that when I grew up, I wanted to. I wanted to continue my my interest in these things and, and do more do more you know reading about them, mm -hmm. but I wanted to actually investigate. I wanted to actually go out in the field and you know look for monsters and and question psychics and 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 try and really understand what's going on rather than just sort of accepting whatever I was told. Sure. And then what was do you remember what your first uh, foray into investigation was? I would have to say I. I don't really remember. I, I suspect it was probably Bigfoot. Um, and I say that because I remember being in high school and writing a, an essay on Bigfoot. Um, I'm, 
a little surprised <laughs> the teacher let me do it and, 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 and let my lack scholarship at the time uh, pass by with an A. But um, I, I remember Bigfoot seemed really interesting, and, you know, I, I was reading about it, and, of course, I was, I was probably, you know, not even a tenth as skeptical and, and certainly as knowledgeable about it as I am now. Sure. Uh, but that was probably the first one. I was like, well, the Bigfoot seems interesting, and, you know, there's some questions here, and so... That I think that probably sparked um, my other investigations, interest in you know cryptozoology and monsters and ghosts and things like that. Well, Bigfoot was my pretty much my first too, <laughs> my first okay. you know uh, of the I guess the paranormal umbrella, uh, the first thing that I had interested in, uh, been interested in that I can recall because I can remember watching Legend of Bogey Creek, Creek back in oh, 1970, yeah. whatever it was. And being just scared <laughs> by that movie, and and I've seen it since, and it's it's it, I have to say that it, it still has a couple of effective moments in it because mm-hmm. uh, the fellow who made the film uh, Pierce is his name or whatever. Anyway, the fellow that made it, <clears throat> he uh, he didn't show the creature very much, and that's always mm-hmm. more effective. But he also included in the film two folk songs and about characters in the film, which seemed really out of place. And I, when I was watching it again as an adult, I thought, "Why didn't I remember this part of it?" It, it was, right. but that, yeah, that's so that always uh, had me afraid when my folks would go to the cab, and I'd be afraid to, because all those woods around and Bigfoot's going to get me. So um, you may be aware of the station that I'm on. It's Z Talk Radio. You were on Paradigm Shift, which airs here on Friday nights. You were on there. Uh, a month or so ago. Yes, yes. It was great. I enjoyed it. I was, I was so jealous that they got you. I thought, oh, damn, I'm going to have to ask them to be on my show. And, um, and Z-Talk is pretty much populated by people who are, well, far less skeptical of the paranormal, much more accepting of it than you and I are. And I'm their resident skeptic, so I get this hour-long show at the end of the week where I just kind of, you know, I kind of point out some of the skeptical view. It's, it's not all skeptic stuff. It's a little bit of whatever is on my mind. But, sure. um, but I have to kind of figure out how to talk to people who, you know, some of them hunt for ghosts and some of them think they're psychics or mediums or sensitives or whatever they're calling themselves. Um, and so I have to kind of figure out how to talk to them. How, how do you handle dealing with uh, when you interact with people who are less skeptical right on up through the true believer types? What is your, what is your manner of, at- of attack or how do you deal with it? Um, a good question, uh, and that, I think that, that actually sort of strikes at the heart of one of the things that, that skeptics need to be more aware of, it, which is, you know, what is the message and what are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? Um, and uh, I come at the I come up with the field investigation and paranormal more generally from a background in psychology. I have a degree in psychology from UNM, uh, University of New Mexico, and um, I find that that psychology really informs a lot of what I do and and how I go about things. And so, I found that when I'm talking to believers, uh, and I don't I don't I'm not particularly enamored of the word believer, but just sort of as shorthand in this context, you know, we know what we're talking about. Um, that um, the best way to go about it is to uh, is to just say, look, you know, I I'm trying to understand what's going on here. Uh, and not not come at it as a as a know it all badass dismissive asshole skeptic, yeah. uh, because that doesn't do any good. It's it's not useful. It's not productive. It's not who I am. 
Um, and so the the tack that I try to take is is to is to sit the person down and say, look, I am a skeptic. I do scientific paranormal investigation, uh, and I, I make no apologies for that. Um, but I'm I'm not dismissive. I'm not I'm not making fun of you. I'm not ridiculing you. I, I'm trying to understand what what you experienced, uh, whether it's a ghost, whether it's a Bigfoot sighting, whether you know whether you, you're certain that your sister has psychic powers, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm taking you seriously. I'm respecting you, and I'm trying to understand what's going on. And when uh, oftentimes when people get that, um, they they open up. They're like, wow, you know, he's you know, we, I'm clearly coming at this from a different point of view, but I'm willing to listen to the evidence. I'm willing to, to you know, see what they have to say. Um, I'm not giggling behind their backs. I, I take this seriously. And so if you demonstrate to people that you do respect them and you do take what they're claiming seriously, um, then that, that really opens up a lot of doors and it helps them to, to, uh, to sort of accept what you're saying or at least accept what I'm saying. And again, that doesn't mean that, that they're necessarily going to buy everything that I'm saying in them or that they're going to, you know, accept any explanation that I give them and nor what I want them to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what it does mean is that they, they understand that I'm trying to get on their level and say, look, you know, I happen to know a lot about this, probably more than you do. And that's not an insult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I just, sure. I, I just do this. I've, I've written books on this. I've spent 12 years researching this. I happen to know this stuff pretty thoroughly. Uh, and, uh, I'm not going to come in there and tell you you're crazy and stupid. Um, I'm going to go in there and try to understand what you're experiencing. And if you, if the answer is that you are experiencing a ghost, then fine. Mm-hmm. If the answer is that you saw a Bigfoot or a lake monster, then that's great. I, that's cool. I, I don't have an axe to grind on this. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I, I'd rather find, find these things out there. So if, if you demonstrate to them, as I try to do, that I actually am sincerely open-minded about it, and mm-hmm. I'm taking this seriously. In fact, I, I find that I actually take this far more seriously than the believers do. Um, the, and that's actually something that, that a lot of people don't seem to grasp at first. But mm-hmm. uh, but. But part of the reason that I am so meticulous in my research and my investigation and my scholarship and why I double-check sources and, and cross-reference things and, and you know, double-check quotes mm-hmm. is because I take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not a joke to me. This is not, uh, this is not a lark. Um, and what I find is that if you look at a lot of the ghost hunters, particularly those on TV, such as the Taps guys or whatever else, sure. um, they're not taking it seriously. Uh, I would have more respect for them if they were taking it seriously, but they're, they, they're pretending to take it seriously and mm-hmm. they're pretending to use science. Uh, but when you, when you look a little bit un- underneath the surface, you realize that they're, they're doing nothing of the sort. And so I think that's one of the main thing that, the things that, that distinguishes my work and my research, uh, from what they're doing. And another one, uh, just to wrap up sure. is, um, is, uh, that I have, I have results. Um, you know, I, I was, I was, it was interesting. I was on a, I was on a show a month or two back. I forget which one it was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the co-host sort of chimed in at one point and said, well, you know, I've been, I've been doing paranormal and ghost investigations for 20 years now. And, um, and I said, really? I said, well, that, that's great. How many cases have you solved? Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and that's probably and, the response you get. Right. And, and it was funny because, I mean, I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to be sarcastic. I mean, it was a legitimate question. I'm like, okay, well, you've been doing this for, for two decades now. How many cases have you solved? And he's like, well, um, 
you know, this sort of field, it doesn't really lend itself to solved cases. You don't really solve cases. And I said, I've solved plenty of cases. In fact, uh, <laughs> I've got five or six books out that, 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 you know, go in great depth and detail about the cases that I've solved. Mm-hmm. And again, I wasn't trying to be attacking or facetious. I'm like, well, hold on here. You know, this, this is one of the things that, one of the things that distinguishes good scientific paranormal investigation and skeptical investigation from 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 pseudoscientific investigation and and you know just ghost hunting and monster hunting is that um, is that you know the investigations that I do and that other people as well. I mean, I'm certainly not the only one. You know, Joe Nickel and Massimo Polidoro and mm-hmm. and uh, you know Blake Smith and and you know Wiseman and Blackmore and many other people as well. Sure. Um, wh- when we do these investigations. Um, Almost always, not all the time, but almost always, there is a fairly conclusive and definitive answer. Whereas if you look at uh, that, I would say the vast majority of uh, paranormal investigations, certainly the pseudoscientific kind, they go into a ghost investigation, for example, with some photos and theories and anecdotes. And after they do their so-called investigation, they still have photos and theories and anecdotes, and there's nothing conclusive. They're... they're, They've done nothing. I mean, I, I, I don't mean that in a, in a dismissive way, but they, they haven't found, they haven't come to any conclusion. Um, so that, that's, that's one thing. Well, that brings me to, um, in your book, Scientific Paranormal Investigation, which I've read, which is great. Um, and you have a chapter in there um, dedicated to a case that you did. Uh, so it was a, ha- a house that was thought to be haunted by the people that lived there. In fact, they were so bothered by it that most everyone had moved out. I think the, the, the man of the family stayed, but everybody else moved out. And right. some, somehow they got in contact with you, and you came in and were able to explain enough of the big things, enough of what was going on for them to realize that, you know, hey, we, we're pretty much just spooking ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, if, so, if, suppose they had called someone else. Uh, what you're saying pretty much is if they had called the, the TAPS group, they probably would have still not gone back to the house. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that you're thinking of, uh, I think it's chapter six in my book, the, mm-hmm. the demonic ghost house in, of Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. And in fact, they, I was actually kind of the last, um, the last call. They had already contacted, uh, I don't, I don't know if they had contacted a ghost hunting group. They'd certainly contacted a local psychic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her answer was, uh, quote, your house is full of ghosts. Uh, I mean, she flat out told them without doing any research, without stepping foot, without without spending more than you know a second of, of investigation, mm-hmm. uh, any investigation at all. She she just said, well, you know, according to my psychic powers, there's ghosts in your house, and so, and that really offended me. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was I was I was sincerely offended by that because these are people who need help. Mm-hmm. This is a family. Those it was a mother and a father and a young daughter. And they were they were scared to be in their own house at night. And here's this psychic who's who's giving them some bullshit line about how well there's a ghost in your house, and I know this because I'm psychic, and and I can't help you. And in fact, this family, and this this case is particularly instructive for ghost investigators because the family had actually uh, had basically haunted their own home based upon. Um, evidence and so-called evidence and, and stories uh, and information they got, or I should say, misinformation they got from TV shows and mm-hmm. from the from the internet, and um, you know that was their first step, their their first you know their first investigation into trying to figure out what might be going on here uh, was were, were these you know very believer um, pro paranormal oriented um, 
sources and references and so-called experts uh, that actually made the problem far worse. And uh, and it wasn't until they came to me uh, that that you know that the the mystery was solved. The the investigation proceeded, and I I you know I explained all the phenomena, all the haunting evidence, and and I was the one that got them back into their home mm-hmm. uh, after them being scared by the by the ghost hunter. So I'm I'm actually pretty proud of that case because to m- to my mind it's a good example of of the the genuine good that mm-hmm. can be done, the the benefit that can be done by by skeptical investigators. Who go in there and say, "Hold on here! I don't care what you heard um, in terms of you know whether your ghost, your house is haunted or not. Here's the real deal, and here's why." I've I've brought it up because I kind of hang out in some of the paranormal chats a little bit. There's a couple shows that I'll go to and I'll I'll ask the questions. And when you were talking about how they contacted a, a psychic, do you suppose it ever happens? And I've asked this question of people who are more in, in tune with believing in paranormal do you suppose it ever happens that a psychic or a medium or sensitive or an intuitive or whatever they're calling themselves uh goes into an alleged haunted house and walks out saying nope not haunted that that's an excellent question and um i wish that there was some research on that uh the the people that should be doing it of course are the ghost hunters (laughs) i mean that's that that is exactly the sort of test, and that is exactly the sort of science that ghost hunting needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would to answer your question. I would, I would expect that at some point it's probably happened where mm-hmm. you know a ghost investigator or a psychic has gone in there saying, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't feel anything. I don't know what you felt, but uh, I, I'm not sensing anything. Um, I can tell you that in my experience, the vast majority of the time, that's not what happens. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of the time, the the ghost hunter or the psychic or whoever it is. Um, they'll be like, yeah, I sense something. I, I may not sense, you know, a little, you know, a five-year-old girl named Mary who died down the road, mm-hmm. but I'm sensing something, uh, you know, some sort of spirit or presence or whatever else here. And part of that is, of course, that um, that the the uh, the the investigators or the psychics, um, the or the ghost hunters, they're they're preconditioned to go into that expecting there's something there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if, if they don't, you know, a lot of times, of course, when you look at the sorts of, the sorts of evidence that's being offered in support of these ghosts by these psychics and, and by these sensitives and whatever else, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's feelings, it's impressions, it's, you know, oh, I'm sensing a male presence or uh, I'm hearing a girl giggle or what, and it takes almost nothing. Anything that pops into your head can be and often is interpreted as a, as a ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, if, if I were able to snap my fingers, um, and bring some science to ghost hunting, as I've sort of tried to do over the past few years, um, I would love to see some good, well-controlled tests, uh, double blind tests, preferably, mm-hmm. of, of psychics. I mean, you, there, there are lots and lots of psychics who claim to be able to, uh, communicate with and detect ghosts. Sure. I know that because I've, I've met many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there are many ghost hunters who believe that psychics can aid in investigations. In my in my book, the Scientific Paranormal Investigations book, I, I talk at length about why using psychics is, is a bad idea. But but let's just say, for example, let's just say for the sake of argument that um, that that someone thought it was a good idea. They wanted to test this. That's great. Let's do it. Um, let's take uh, let's take a couple t- take a random group of psychics um, and take them to. A, uh, and select, say, maybe two dozen or more different locations, some of which 
are, are alleged to be haunted, others which are not. Um, you know, just a, a house that was built two years ago, maybe, where, you know, there, you, you interview the people there, around there, nobody has reported anything weird. It, it's just an ordinary house, nothing strange about it. And there's no Indian burial ground. There's no, yeah, there's no Indian burial ground, yeah. Right, I mean, you know, the problem is, of course, they can always dig up something that's, sure. you know, Everywhere in America is an Indian burial ground. Right, burial. So, yeah, right. <laughs> t- t- yeah, show me a place where it isn't. Yeah. Uh, so, so you, you would get, you would get, you know, a list of, 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 of locations and have it be that the, the psychic doesn't know where they're going. I mean, because otherwise they, they can, you know, they can get a sense of the area. They might look it up on the Internet. But just randomly and randomly choose and then just go into a place and say, you're in this location, you know, spend however much time you need, five minutes, ten minutes, two hours, whatever it is. Do you sense any spirits here? Uh, do you sense any, you know, do you think that anything unusual is going on here? And and see what they say, and and just sort of and just test different psychics, and 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 I can I'm pretty sure I can tell you what the answer is going to be, mm-hmm. but at least that would start bringing some 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 methodologies to it, sure. and, and some science to it. So that's that's exactly the sort of uh, the sorts of um, I think steps towards uh, science that that ghost hunting needs. And that was part one of my interview with Ben Radford. I'm going to go to a break right now. So you are listening to Dimland Radio and the Z-Talk Radio Network. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Uh, please come back after this break for part two of my interview with Ben Radford. Goody Gumdrops. Your assignment is to listen to the buzz on Monday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Central on ZTalkRadio.com. This message will self-destruct. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio's Red-Headed Stepchild. It's Dr. Dim on Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network. I know what you are. You drive too fast, you smell so good, and you dress fashionably well. Say it. Out loud. You're a... Metrosexual? Oh, what? Why do I always get that? I'm a radio show host. Kale, I want to be one of you. And you can be. Join me on ztalkradio.com, 9 p.m. Eastern on Sunday nights. The show's called Perspective. Hey, do you sparkle? Oh my god, don't even start. Hang on, Spider Monkey. The competition has taken notice. Oh my god. 
Good luck keeping up with us. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. And you're back to Dimland Radio. I am your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, and of course we are on the Z-Talk Radio Network. Uh, I am going to put us right back into this interview with Ben Radford. This is part two, so enjoy. Well, and in your book, uh, Scientific Paranormal Investigation, you have a, a whole chapter dedicated to what not to do. While you're, haunt, oh, while you're hunting for ghosts or investigating, uh, in fact, the first—I think it's the first thing you say—is you know, turn on the lights. <laughs> right. Why? Why should they turn on the lights? Well, the that's yeah. It, it's always uh, it just baffles me. I mean, in, in fact, to be honest with you, that's that's probably the mo- the everyone's favorite chapter in the book. People who've, who've read the book and they've, they've liked it, and mm-hmm. for some reason they keep coming back to it. It's like, oh, I really love that chapter, and I, it was I liked it myself. I could, well, I think it's because it's so informative and through each point you know if that you can say okay, this is what this is this is what's being done wrong and you, you, you know you can really grab onto it a lot uh, mm-hmm. pretty well yeah, I mean, the, the irony is that that was actually the last chapter that I wrote, and I almost didn't include it. Um, <laughs> it just sort of, I, I was going to, I was like, wow, I had some good material, I have some good ideas for, you know, information. I, I should sort of take, take make an effort at, at uh, sort of debunking or disproving mm-hmm. uh, the science behind some of the claims. But, uh, and I, and I, of course, just stuck it in there, and there you go. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, that, that was always one of the things that puzzled me is when I would occasionally watch these, these TV shows, especially, one of the first things these 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 supposed ghost hunters do is they turn off the lights uh, either that or they you know the, they do it at three o'clock which is allegedly the, the witching hour or some some such um and you know they walk around you know with their their emf detectors and and you know their infrared cameras and and they're like scaring everybody silly and i'm just looking at this thinking good god there's no science here at all, it's like mm-hmm. reality has just drained out of the room here, mm-hmm. and um, and you know from from a TV perspective because I've done a fair amount of TV, uh, you know I understand why they do it because it's dramatic, it's interesting, yeah. you know it's it's people scaring each other in spooky things and staring at the camera and oh my god what's that in the background, but the, but you know if you're trying to make you know quasi interesting TV that's one thing, mm-hmm. if you're trying to do this scientifically. Leave the lights on. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, you know, hu- again, as I, as I talk about briefly in the book, I mean, you know, humans are visual creatures. Mm-hmm. We, there's a reason we have eyes, and they're well adapted, and they, they work pretty well, mm-hmm. and we need light to see. We don't, we don't, you know, we don't sense things by echolocation, for example, as bats do. Um, we don't have acute night vision as, as, uh, as like, for example, um, cats do, whatever else. Um, so, as visual creatures, we need light, and frankly, the more light, the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're trying to, is the, the example that I, I give people is like, you know, if, if I give you some object, some small object to identify and I put it in your hand, whatever it is, it could be a calculator, it could be a stapler, it could be a set of keys, it could be you know, some Buddhist monk, you know, ritual stone, whatever it is, whatever it is, would you, are, are you, are you more likely to identify what it is if I put it in your hand if you're in a completely dark room or if the lights are on? I mean, mm-hmm. which, 
Right. Which which of those two conditions are, are are is is more likely to give you accurate information about what's in your hand? Well, call? I've asked uh, those that do this kind of investigation that do it with the lights off and all that. I've a- I've asked them, you know, why? And one of the answers I got was they want to recreate the conditions in which the haunting event took place. And then I I say to them, well, aren't you essentially recreating the conditions in which the mistake? was made, in which, you know, something happened, but the person wasn't fully capable of observing their surroundings, so the brain did whatever it did and convinced them that there was somebody in the room or that they were touched or that something moved, you know. Mm-hmm. Aren't you pretty much just handicapping yourself uh, the same way that the person that you're investigating for was handicapped? Mm-hmm. And what do they say? Um, <laughs> They say no. <laughs> well, right. I mean, sometimes yeah, I, I've heard that argument as well, and frankly, it's it's illogical and doesn't hold any water at all. Um, the, the they say, well, you know, uh, I mean, there's I don't even know where to begin with. <laughs> with, with, with uh, I mean, for example, one one way to begin is by by pointing out that um, that oftentimes uh, ghosts are not. They're, they're not seen as luminous white objects floating around in the dark. Mm-hmm. They're seen as dark patches. They're seen as dark figures or shadow figures. That's mm-hmm. what they, they're sometimes called. Um, so, so you know, again, it, it just depends on the, on the specific thing that you're looking for. But, um, but a lot of times people are not, they're, they're not talking about something that's glowing in the dark like a, like a light bulb or a glow stick. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not what they're describing. They're describing things that are that are dark and shadowy. Yeah, shadow uh, people. Shadow people, right? And yeah. so, and so, you know, if you're if you're trying to find something that's shadowy, and you turn off the light, that's like the definition of stupidity. I mean, there, <laughs> you 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 that that doesn't that's not logical. That that's not how that works. If you're trying to if you're trying to see something that is shadowy, you want more light, not less light. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's just, yeah. And they always have, you know, interesting excuses. Well, we do it because this and that. And, and, uh, and, and I mean, there's a whole other issue. I won't, I won't bother to go into it now, but there's a whole issue of trying to recreate, uh, the, um, the original sighting. Uh, I mean, and I talk about in the book is that, you know, you need to be very, very careful with, with recreations. Uh, I mean, and especially when you get into like, so, so what is it called? So-called lockdowns. And you know, like, okay, we're gonna find ghosts tonight, and we're gonna, you know, everybody's here, and we got the camera crews. There's, there's, you, there's no way to control for for uh, for all the uh, all the different variables uh, in terms of light and and sound and, and people coming by. It just, it's 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 pure pseudoscience, and it's no wonder that um, that you know that these these investigations almost invariably uh, end up with uh, with just you know, ambiguous evidence. Uh- I have seen some progress uh, in the time around uh, these, these the folks that you know accept this kind of stuff. I've mm-hmm. seen a little bit, and that's with orbs. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems that they have realized that orbs are probably what we've been telling them it is. It's dust. It's bugs. It's lens flare. It's you know it's it's it's, it's a it's a an effect of the camera. It's not mm-hmm. you know. It, it's not a ghost or the spirit or a demon or whatever they were thinking it was. So I've seen that happen. There are still some that will, they always cling to, well, that describes 95% of them, but what about the, well, you know, you, once you get to the 95%, you know, you know, it's not, it's, it's you know, to cling to that final five uh, right, seems right. a little, you know, 
tenants. Well, it, it, and you hear that same argument with, for example, with Bigfoot, uh, mm-hmm. where people are like, well, yeah, okay, maybe, uh, maybe you know, people like Lauren Coleman or other others as well will say, well, okay, they will admit that the vast majority of Bigfoot sightings or lake monster sightings are not in fact of monsters. It's like, okay, well, it's true that you know, it's you know, there's mistakes and people are you know, thing, seeing things in the dark and maybe it's black bears or rounds. Mm-hmm. We'll say, but, 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 but. There's that, you know, that, that 2% or that 1% or that 5% or whatever percentage that they get. And they're like, but, but those aren't explainable. Uh-huh. And the, the, the problem with that logic is that it assumes that, that the unexplainable, you know, small fraction is somehow different, uh, and, and it is substantively different in, in character, uh, than the other, the other 95% or 98%. And there's no evidence that that's true. I mean, just because, just because you can't explain that one percent or two percent or ten percent does not mean it's unexplainable. It just means right. that that you haven't figured out, how to figured out that minority of it. Yeah, it's like when they say, "Well, thousands and thousands of people reported seeing whatever it is." You know, they can't all be wrong. Well, yes, they can. <laughs> in fact, in fact, they can fact. all be wrong. Right. Um, and, but you know, like I said, some progress has been made with EVP. But I'm I'm. I'm hoping that some progress, or with orbs, but with EVP, you know, the uh, uh, the electronic voice phenomenon, or as I call it, evidence very poor. Um, it's you know, I, 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 they they really are holding on to EVP. They think that that is that is going to be the piece to the puzzle that's needed. What's wrong with EVP? How long do we have? <laughs> Well, Half an hour. Take your time. <laughs> um, oh God, what's wrong with EVPs? Well, um, okay. I we'll realize play. that's a pretty open question. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, uh, the the um, the one of the main things that's wrong with EVPs, and one of the big red flags that that it's not good evidence uh, and good science, is that the quality of EVPs has not improved. Uh, I mean, I've heard EVPs that were recorded. Uh, they weren't necessarily called EVPs uh, in the in the in the seventies and eighties, but I've heard you know what, what what are now called EVPs at the time, um, and and you know they're they they're the same sort of murmuring interpretive you know you hear yeah mayor did you hear that it said Mary or Harry or Larry <laughs> or, you know or Carrie or sure you know and and uh, and and you know with with anything that's real. With any subject that you're studying that actually exists, whether it's biology, whether it's physics, whether it's uh, car technology or medicine, or in any in any legitimate field of study where what you're examining is real and is tangible, or even not tangible, something that you can actually study and and that that, that actually exists in the real world, what you find is that the evidence gets better. The evidence improves over time. In fact, uh, over the last, with, with impact with, with improved technology, for example, in many fields, over the last uh, ten or twenty years, the the amount of knowledge has just spiked. I mean, it's just it's just shot up uh, because of improved technology. More people researching this and that and the other. Um, that is not true with ghosts, uh, and it's certainly not true with EVPs. Uh, the evidence for EVPs has remained exactly the same. For, for decades. Now, um, the quality of the recordings uh, may have gone up uh, mm-hmm. because of improved technology, but, but the, in, in terms of, 
the the content of those recordings <laughs> and you right. know the and the implications of the recordings it's exactly the same mm-hmm. uh it, it it's it's you know the evps are no better you know today than they were two months ago two years ago 20 years ago mm-hmm. uh that that's just a, a fact of the a fact of the matter so that's that should be one big red flag another one is that um is that we we were talking earlier about the the orbs and about how they say well okay yeah maybe some of them are just camera artifacts but not all of them are mm-hmm. in the same way the EVP defenders will say I mean many of them I mean they're all over the board with it but many of them will admit that it's basically you know a version of auditory pareidolia mm-hmm. that basically you, people are hearing. You know, you, you you hear sounds, and if someone suggests to you, well, doesn't this sound sound like this person is saying this, or mm-hmm. you know, my name is Minnie, or I died here, or whatever. I mean, that's, that's or or the ubiquitous get out. Yeah, get out, get out is very good. Uh, you know, how old do you, how old were you when you died? Was that thirteen, thirty? Who knows, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, but I mean, and the problem for the for the EVP defenders is that. The literature is very clear about this. Uh, if you look at the, the research uh, in psychology and, and, and elsewhere, I mean, it's it's very very clear that this this is a this is a real mechanism that actually happens. I mean, this has been proven over and over and over again. It's not this is not some speculation that people might interpret things, you know, if they're led you know, a certain way. This is proven fact. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so what they try to do is they say, okay, well. Maybe okay. They can't really deny that the humans have a, a pre-existing disposition uh, or ability to to you know to read into meanings and things from from uh, from random stimuli. They can't really deny that because it's essentially a fact. So what they say is, well, okay, maybe some of them are, uh, but but these other ones aren't. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, 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 there's this tiny percentage. You know, okay, a lot of EPs. You know, they, they, some people even like classify them. You know, one, two, three, four different levels, and you know, B13, and they have all these little intricate categorization systems for the quality of EPs. Mm-hmm. And that that's all well and good. Um, and so they'll say, okay, well, maybe this isn't a class A VP, or maybe this is, this isn't. Um, but but ultimately, um, they 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 can't distinguish. There's there's no criteria, there's no objective criteria that distinguishes a real EVP from a um, a, a bullshit EVP yeah. or a, a non EVP. I mean, mm-hmm. there there is no there's no line there, mm-hmm. and there's nothing they can point to, and so that that's another big problem with it is that that there's you know, that there's no there's no systematic investigation criteria of these things. Now, what they what they'll they'll argue as you well know, mm-hmm. is they'll say well. Some of these are meaningful because you know, this isn't just random. This is meaningful, uh, and they they would be correct if if they were correct that they're meaningful. Mm-hmm. The problem is that meaning is in the eye of the beholder, um, or, or the ear of the beholder, sure. as it were. So you know, if you're asking an open minded an, an open ended question of something in the air, you know, is there something here? If you wait long enough. Mm-hmm. You'll hear a tap or a thud or a murmur or take your peg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you say, well, you know, if you say, you know, how old were you when you died? If you wait long enough and you, if you keep asking the questions, uh, eventually you'll, you'll, you may hear something that, you know, if you turn it up loud enough and you filter enough, <laughs> filter enough through noise, mm-hmm. you'll hear, you know, something that might resemble a number one two three four five six fifteen twenty eight the problem here of course is that there's no way to verify that 
Right. There, if you're asking a ghost, how old were you when you died? What is the wrong answer? What, right. <laughs> what, what answer would, <laughs> what, what possible response would you say, oh, that's not right? That there is none. Same thing with, you know, what's your name? Well, again, if you wait long enough, you know, did you hear it? It's, it's, it's Minnie or it's Mickey or sure. it's Mary or, and, and again, th- there's no wrong answer. Well, because, and- but they could be going into a property where they know the history of that uh, somebody named George died there. They're exactly. kind of their pump is primed to turn any kind of scratch or whatever kind of a sound that they might be picking up to maybe, you know, make it sound like it's the guy saying George. Exactly, and and that's and that's one of the problems with it. I mean, so and, you know, and again, it, you know, I talked earlier about one of the ways that you could bring scientific methodologies to ghost hunting would be to to uh, to do some tests with with alleged psychics and and allegedly haunted houses and sort of see see what see if the see if the information matches up. I'm certain that it wouldn't, but it would be interesting to to see. What, I mean, I could be wrong. I, I don't know. This 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 is sort this is the sort of research that should have been done years ago, and that's still not being done today. Um, and you know, I, I try to do, I try to bring, you know, science investigations in, in science into my investigations, but, mm-hmm. um, but you know, ultimately the, 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 the burden of proof and the, the people that should be doing this is not me. It's people that oh, I've been doing this for 20 years. Right. Yeah. How's that going? How's that? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that, that's great. I mean, I'm not mocking you. That's great. You've been doing this for 20 years. And what have you learned? What, what do you know now? About ghosts, what what facts can you point to that that is a result uh, of your of your two two decades of researching ghosts? What mm-hmm. what specifically do you know for a fact about ghosts that you didn't when you went into it? Mm-hmm. You know, I've been asked, um, you know, being that I'm a skeptic, I've been asked, you know, what it would take for me to believe certain things, and generally the answer is well, good evidence for it. Uh, I find it easier to explain, you know, I could accept Bigfoot existing if you found a body, if you found a, a carcass or a living one, you know, where's the Jane Goodall of Bigfoots, you know, romping around in the Pacific Northwest with, you know, if something like that came, that's easy to, to explain to somebody, so, well, you, you know, show me a body where it's absolutely identified as a, you know, heretofore uncategorized primate, uh, and yeah, I can accept that, that okay, it, it exists, or, you know, um, I don't have as easy a time saying that for ghosts, uh, you know, because I, I don't know if there is any quick, easy way to say, well, this would convince me. And that always, uh, well, I, I've had it said to me, I've had it said, I've heard it said of others, uh, of skeptics, that uh, the thing is, well, once they've experienced it, when you've had that personal experience with it, then you'll know. And they've asked me, if, and I said, well, yeah, you know, if I've ever had any kind of a personal experience with a spirit or something, you know, ethereal or or whatever. And I said, well, yeah, I did. Uh, you know, it's it's happened. I've woken up in the middle of the night and swore there was somebody standing in my room. And mm-hmm. as soon as my parents came running into the room, turned on the light, I realized that there wasn't anybody standing in the room. It was just a trick of the light. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's there's an overemphasis on personal experience, which I find is uh, quite prevalent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. And another another aspect of it is that it's not just an over-reliance on personal experience. It is a, it is a bizarre and, I think, detrimental um, conviction that, that they're right mm-hmm. and that they can't be wrong. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I encountered, I encountered this over and over again, and it, it's always fascinating to me because I'll talk to people who are, who are absolutely convinced that, that the, a ghost exists. And the, the, they know, you know, I've had people say, you know, I know for a fact Bigfoot exists because I saw one. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, it, it's remarkable to me because, uh, again, sort of hearkening back to my, my background in psychology, I'm well aware of the ways in which I can be fooled. Mm-hmm. Um, I make mistakes all the time. Uh, I mean, I, sure. I, I'll just say, you know, I, I I try and be very aware of them, which I think is the main the main an, an, an antidote to that. But you know, I, um, you know, if I experience something that I think is weird or anomalous, um, my my first assumption is that I'm making a mistake, mm-hmm. that I'm making an error, that there's something about the conditions that I'm in that are that are that's creating an illusion or that I'm mistaken about something. I'm not saying that, that, you know, that I can't trust my senses because, you know, I, I, I actually, <laughs> I actually go through my days pretty well trusting my senses and taste and smells and sights sure. and whatever else. But, uh, but, but one thing that's very common and not widely discussed among the so-called believers, whether it's ghosts or Bigfoot or psychics or anything else, is this conviction that they are absolutely right. And that they they can't be fooled. They're smarter than everybody else. They they know they they there's no possibility that it could have been anything other than what they experienced. And it's it's amazing to me because a lot of times, as you know, skeptics say, well, the the, the one of the knocks against skeptics is they say, well, the skeptics are are closed minded, mm-hmm. uh, and that they're well, you're just you know debunking. You've you've already you've already decided that this can't exist, right. and yeah. and therefore. You know that it, it's it, it can be true, and exactly the opposite is is is, is true in my experience because, um, you know if I if if I was hiking in the woods somewhere and I came across a you know twelve foot giant bipedal hairy beast that was right in front of me, um, would I say that's Bigfoot? Uh, I don't know what a Bigfoot is, but I would say it it matches what people are calling Bigfoot. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to experience uh, a ghost, and if I mean, at one point I, I got into a big long discussion when I was investigating uh, um, Fort George in, in Ontario, which is supposedly can- one of Canada's most haunted places, uh, with a, with a with a, a ghost hunter there, and we got into a it was a, it was a very long overnight uh, investigation vigil, and it was like three o'clock in the morning, and nothing was going on, and he's like, <laughs> "Well, so what would it take to you convince the <laughs> uh, uh, to, to ghost?" And it, it was a very actually very interesting conversation, and um, and I said, uh, you know, I said, well, in fact, in in the room we were, we were in, there was a, a big grandfather clock, and it was probably about as tall as I was, and I said, you know what? If right now while we're talking, that grandfather clock leapt up in the air, hovered in the air, and smashed against the wall to my left, like 30 feet away, mm-hmm. um, I would say that is probably a, a, it certainly appears to be a paranormal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, would I say that that's definitively a ghost? No, I can't, because I don't know definitively what a ghost is. But sure. if, if that were to happen to me right here, right now, um, that would go a long way towards, uh, t- towards my, my believing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so again, there, there certainly are things that I could experience that, that, that would lead me to, to that interpretation. Um, but it was just remarkable because oftentimes, as I said, the people that I'm talking to, they, they are, they are convinced that these things exist and they are closed minded to the possibility that mm-hmm. they could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm open minded to the possibility that 
I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I could be wrong. People are wrong about things all the time. You look at eyewitness testimony. You look at, sure. I mean, just take, I mean, that, this is what I do. I spend a lot of my time <laughs> discussing ways in which people can be wrong. Yeah. And, um, and so I'm very well aware of the, the, of the fallibility. But, uh, you know, as we were talking about before, um, a lot of these people, they're just so sure that they are right and they can't be wrong. And it's, it's, um, it's kind of sad, actually. Yeah, I bet you if that clock had done what you described there, that I think your first reaction would be to try to figure out how it happened. That you mm-hmm. would start looking around. Okay, what's going Your Your, your initial reaction would have been, oh, yeah, I guess you're right, there are ghosts. Uh, yeah. You would be saying, okay, what made that happen? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'd, I'd be looking for you know li- wires or whatever else, and mm-hmm. and frankly, I would know given the circumstances that it hadn't really been rigged. I mean, there it, it would have been I just you know the to 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 say that to say that that would have you know it, it's not as if. It's not as if if that had happened to me, I would have said, "Oh, this is all a big hoax." You know, you guys rigged this in some weird way to. Mm-hmm. No, I'd be like, my first assumption is that that you know that what I just experienced was true. It was real. I mean, I saw it fly through the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one was there. It's three o'clock in the morning. There's, sure. you know, everyone is too tired to pull a hoax, even if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, so it's not as if my first my first instinct would be to debunk it or disprove it. My first instinct is. What's going on here? And if the answer is that he and I are the only two people in the room, there's no wires, it wasn't a weird earthquake or something, if the answer is that all evidence points to a paranormal explanation, that's great. Okay. I, I, I'll be happy to say, you know what, uh, this is my investigation, this is what I experienced, this is, this is the investigation that I did, these are the, the theories I tested, all those failed, um, I consider this to be tentatively good um, evidence for the paranormal. I don't have a problem with saying that. And that was part two of my interview with Ben Radford. Uh, I'm going to go to our, our second break for the night. Well, my second break for the night. Uh, this is Dimland Radio. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, and we are on the Z-Talk Radio Network. Uh, enjoy this break. It'll be fun. This old love struck soul just lives for the moment you're around. Well, I'll be hornswoggled. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. You don't say. Oh, what? You think you went off to college or something? On ztalkradio.com. That's the most amazing thing since Grandma survived the outhouse incident. Ready for some rollicking adventure? In Scotty Roberts' book, The Rollicking Adventures of Tam O'Hare, join Irish Rabbit, Tam O'Hare, and his young squirrel squire, Horatio McNutt, as they journey through Scotland of the mid 1500s seeking a small child who's been stolen by the fairy folk. Crafty raccoon pirates, conniving noble wolves, Conflicted royal foxes and self-serving religious badgers all stand in the way as their quest brings them headlong into high seas action and supernatural intrigue. The Rollicking Adventures of Tam O'Hare is in bookstores everywhere and at barnesandnoble.com. 
This hardcover, lushly illustrated chapter book is the first book in the Tam O'Hare series. But hang on to your sabers. Book 2, Tam O'Hare and the Banshee of Bally Glen Morrow, is coming later this year. So swash your buckle and prepare yourself for a historically rollicking, swaggeringly supernatural adventure. Visit TamOHair.com to learn more. You'll never trust a raccoon with a sword again. He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. UFOs, pop circles, Bigfoot, vampires, demons, banshees, Atlantis, shadow people, werewolves, Bermuda Triangle, all topics on Paradigm Shift, which is on Fridays at 11 p.m. Eastern on ztalkradio.com. Your force is strong with this one. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. at Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I am your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. And wasn't that second break lots of fun? And I know what you're saying. It wasn't all that much different from the break before and from the one last week. A couple different bumper songs. Oh, well. Let's not stretch this out any longer than I have to. I've got part three now of my interview with Ben Radford. So sit tight and enjoy this third part of that wonderful interview I did earlier this week. It's, it's coming up, honest, it is, really. Uh, I just want to touch briefly on the podcast that you are a part of with uh, Blake Smith and Dr. Karen Stolznow. Uh, you do Monster Talk, which is a skeptical podcast that's one of two official podcasts for Skeptic Magazine. It's really neat how, okay, you're, you work for Skeptical Inquirer, which is a magazine, but then you'll do a podcast for Skeptic Magazine. You're competitors. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, what's the rundown on uh, Monster Talk? What, how do you guys, what do you do? Well, yeah. The to, to be honest with you, Monster Talk sort of began began as an independent production. It wasn't originally uh, it wasn't originally a, under the you know the flagship of, of Skeptic Magazine. Right. As uh, was uh, Skepticality. It started out sort of that way, and then was right, brought in. Exactly. Right. And you're coming so, up on two years too, aren't you? I I think so. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I that's what they tell me. I don't know. I I just uh, I just show up and try to you know do the best I can and and go home with it. But um, but yeah, it's, uh, so you know, I, there's always been sort of a friendly rivalry between, you know, the James Randi Educational Foundation and Michael Shermer and the Skeptical, the Skeptic Society and, and Psychop. Um, the way I see it is that ultimately we all have the same goals. Uh, we're all trying to do the same thing. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't really see, you know, any real competition between those, uh, between the magazines, whatever else. Uh, just, you know, we're all, we just approach things in different ways. I mean, you know, Penn and Teller 
know, approach skepticism differently than, than than I do, or than you know, than the the South Park guys do, or than Joe Nickel does, or whatever else. So we all have our little our little niches, uh, and I'm fortunate that I'm able to um, to to participate with Monster Talk with with Blake and Karen because uh, again, it, it's it, it's a it's an opportunity to sort of look at monsters from a from a science point of view, mm-hmm. and not just go for the woo woo stuff, but say, well, hold on here. I mean, what's what what's going on? Whether you're looking at vampires or zombies or hybrids or Bigfoot, uh, and that's one thing that the Blake and I really shared originally. We, we we sort of had this love for uh, for the subject, and when I when we were first talking about it, um, my main stipulation was that it had to be uh, it had to be in depth. I was not going to do a podcast that was you know 15 minutes and you know and the the you know lots of uh, Lots of silly stuff and superficial questions and whatever else. And and Blake was, I mean, the you know they were entirely on the same page with that. But that's one of the problems that I see uh, is, is with a lot of podcasts and a lot of interviews in general is that is that if they're not long form, then they're just superficial. You yeah. know, the everybody knows you only have you know 15 minutes to to go into it or 10 minutes whatever else, mm-hmm. and you can't get. You, you 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 can't get any useful information and in fact i i come i come at it from sort of the opposite side of the the, the coin because i'm often interviewed um by you know news media new york times and msnbc whatever else mm-hmm. um and and um oftentimes you know what they use in a news story is a tenth of what you told them and, and that's fine i mean I, i'm an editor as well so i know how this works sure. but um but part of the problem is that is that in order to you know if i'm commenting on on the psychic story or bigfoot or whatever else is that um is that i can't get in depth because there isn't space for it and and even though the reporter may know far more about it than than he or she can write about uh you know i have to keep things superficial um uh, because you know, because the story, it's you know, there's no there's no real depth to the story, and that, that's one thing that really frustrates, excuse me, that really frustrates me about about that. And so, it was important to me and 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 for the show to let let the experts speak. Let you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. they know more about this than we do usually. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, let them talk. You know, obviously you, you got to guide them this and that, and you know, and keep them on track. But uh, but that was that was important to me was that was that it be it really be substantive and not just superficial. Well, um, you're kind of pointing me in a question that's you know I don't know how much time you've got, but um, uh, probably another uh, ten or fifteen minutes. Okay, because um, you, you kind of touched on this. Um, how much blame do we put on this uh, seemingly endless supply of, of paranormal type stuff? Uh, do we place at the foot of the media, uh, the internet? How much blame do we put on them? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it, it's it, that, that's a good question. I mean, it sort of depends on on how you're approaching it. I mean, mm-hmm. the the problem of the paranormal, um, and I don't mean problem as in something that needs to be eradicated, but something that needs to be investigated and have science brought to it, is that, um, is that there's two sides of the coin. You have the, the purveyors of the paranormal, uh, who are mostly uh, self-professed experts on ghosts or Bigfoot or whatever, whatever else, and, of course, websites and, uh, and you know, sort of believer magazines and, and whatever else, and, of course, uh, TV shows like Ghost Hunters and, and things like that and documentaries. Um 
but there's also the other side of the coin, which is the the consumers of that information. And uh, you know, I, I I wrote a book in 2003 called Media Mythmakers, uh, which is basically about journalism and and and, um, and sort of media criticism. And so I've I've given this a fair amount of, of thought and research. Okay. And um, and again, you have to look at it from both sides. It's not just a message problem. It's also you know what are people demanding? Right. What what do the audience want? And that's always the age-old thing. It's like producers will say, well, we can't have too much science in it because people won't watch it. Mm-hmm. And um, that I've heard that a fair amount, and I, I actually uh, take issue with that mm-hmm. um, because I think that you can make a – I mean, look, these subjects are inherently interesting. Yeah. Uh, whether it's chupacabras or, or Bigfoot or a ghost or psychic powers – these are interesting subjects. I mean, just <laughs> they're cool, yeah. you know. <laughs> and um, and I don't buy the argument that that it has to be uh, woo woo and oh my god, isn't this real uh, for it to be interesting? And in fact, that's one thing I tried to do with with my book, uh, the, the the Chupacabra book, tracking the Chupacabra. Sure. Is uh, is you know I spend whatever it is uh, two hundred pages, um, g- you know basically examining each part of the chupacabra mystery and story and examining and sort of go, going going through all the, all the steps you know how do you break down this mystery you look into in smaller parts mm-hmm. and uh, and it, it also included uh, like field research in, in Nicaragua and, and investigating in this net but but to my mind the real value of that book is that it, it eliminates the process. Uh, you know, if you want, you can skip to page, you know, 192, whatever it is, and figure out <laughs> what I think the chupacabra is, or, uh-huh. or you know, a part of the mystery. Uh, and that's fine. I, I, I don't care. But, but to my mind, the real value is is not in the final answer. The real value is in in taking the the reader through. Uh, through the investigation, you, you start out with a big mystery. You start out with lots of weird facts and trying whatever else, and then through the process, you show them, or at least, and that's also what I tried to do with the the, the scientific paranormal investigations book, mm-hmm. is 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 take them to say, okay, look, this is a big mystery. This is what people are saying about it. How can we look at this scientifically? How can we bring science and critical thinking to it? And 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 so so I think the process is 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 the is the elegant part. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in the same way, like, for example, uh, one of the TV shows I was on a couple years back was called Is It Real mm-hmm. uh, for National Geographic. I think I was on five or six episodes. And that show was very, very good. Uh, not only was it done by, by Nat Geo, mm-hmm. but also, uh, but because it was done by Nat Geo, it had science to it. And, sure. they, they, you know, they didn't just bring in the skeptic in the last ten minutes right. and, uh, or five minutes and, and say, look, this is what it is. And so, to my mind, the, the success of the Is It Real series, uh, and there were other people on as well, you know, Jim Nichol was on there and, and I think Jim Underdown and many others, um, was that the producers got it. The producers understood that yes, you can make interesting, skeptical, science-based uh, programming, uh, and and you know, and at the end, you don't have to you don't have to say, well, this has been conclusively debunked because you don't know that it has. Science doesn't operate on certainties, mm-hmm. um, but you you can you can you can frame it so that it's still interesting and intriguing, and people are still less skeptical instead of. You know, forty minutes of of believers, five minutes of skeptics, and then say, "Well, you decide." 
Mm-hmm. So I think that that's part of the answer is that, that really the responsibility lies on both sides of the coin um, in terms of, you know, or both sides of the television, I guess it would be. Um, and, and, you know, and we also need more, more people consuming the skeptical literature. Sure. And, uh, and I, 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 that can, you can interpret that phrase coming from me as, as, <laughs> as sort of self-congratulatory. Um, and, but I don't think it is actually. Um, because, you know, the, the investigations that I do and other people do as well, um, they need, they need readers. I mean, authors need readers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I mean, I, I personally don't care whether you buy my books or, or someone else's books. Or else. The point is, is supporting skepticism and supporting mm-hmm. people that are actually doing the investigation, yeah. the actually doing the research. Because if you don't do that, it goes away. Mm-hmm. If, if there's not an audience for these things, people don't do it. And and again, not just not just books, but you know, TV shows. You know, if if you see a, a TV series that you think is good and skeptical, patronize it. You know, mm-hmm. contact the producers and say, you know, what, this is a great show, and encourage your friends to watch it. And and again, this isn't this isn't so much a matter of you know uh, me selling an extra book or Joe Nickel or whoever else, but it's a matter of of. Um, of deciding where you're going to put your attention and where you're going to put your resources and what you want to support. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's, that's sort of a, an element. And same thing with podcasts. I mean, you know, this podcast and, and you know, Skepticality and, and Monster Talk, uh, you know, nobody can listen to all the, all the podcasts. I mean, there's, you know, I know, there's a I, lot. <laughs> th- there's a lot out there. And <laughs> frankly, you know, if you did nothing else but listen to interesting skeptical podcasts, you'd get nothing done. <laughs> so you, you have to pick and choose. But, sure. um, but you know, it, it, again, it, it's a matter of, of, you know, of actively choosing what information you're going you're to consume and, and, you know, trying to, trying to get it out there. Yeah. And I always hope for uh, an X-Files type show, uh, but this time Scully is always right and not Mulder always turning out to be right. Um, well, um, before I let you go, I warned you about this ahead of time. Uh, I didn't do this with uh, George. I didn't warn him. I just sprung it on George Robb when I interviewed him back in January. Um, at the end of my shows, most of them, I recommend a movie that, uh, that I'd like my listeners to watch. It's ne- They don't necessarily have to have anything to do with uh, skepticism or anything like that. They're classics or new or whatever. I just throw something out there. Uh, so I asked uh, you if maybe you'd think of a movie that you'd recommend for my listeners. Well, I I kind of have two favorite movies. Um, can can I cheat and do two? You can or? do a twofer. Yeah. Oh, I'll do a twofer. I've done twofers myself. So. Okay. Well, let me see. So I would say um, one of my favorite films um, is, and this is sort of a more coming from a psychological skeptical point of view, is a little known, little seen um, horror film called Bug. Uh, and it was directed by uh, William Friedkin, who of course did The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. And it came out about three or four years ago, I think it was, and it starred uh, Harry Connick Jr. and Ashley Judd. Uh, and Ashley Judd has made some pretty crappy films, but this is not one of them. Okay. And I, I won't, I won't give it away, but basically, it's about, um, it's about a uh, these two main characters, uh, and one of them uh, believes that he's infested with bugs, and uh, it's not clear. Uh, throughout the film, whether he's imagining it or whether it's real or whether it's not real, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a fascinating and actually very realistic depiction of uh, of a, a phenomenon called folia du, in which uh, it's, it's a psychological phenomena known in in which uh, people will convince themselves that something is real and they'll sort of take 
parts of evidence, uh, to, you know, take evidence and sort of search their, search their environments and, 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 and seek evidence for their own convictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's a horror film. Um, it was actually originally a stage play. But uh, it's, uh, it's creepy and it's scary and it's fascinating and it's very psychologically accurate. So I would say Bug uh, is an is a, is a intelligent, nifty little thriller, mm-hmm. uh, sort of a, a, from a skeptical point of view. Um, my all-time favorite film is actually called Falling Down. Uh, which is uh, Michael Douglas with Michael Douglas. Yeah, that's uh, in, in fact, in fact, uh, I'm going to I'm going to show off my, my nerdiness here. But um, Sunday, the 12th, uh, which is a couple days from now, mm-hmm. is uh, something I call falling down day. Okay. And every year on on June 12th, uh, because that's actually the day that the film was set, uh, I watch falling down. And um, and it's the the it's a uh, it's just a. <laughs> Uh, it's just an awesome, interesting, fascinating film. It stars Michael Douglas, uh, directed by Joel Schumacher, uh, and it's about. Uh, it, it can very easily be mischaracterized as about Michael Douglas going crazy in Los Angeles and attacking minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, that that was actually one of the ways that it was originally uh, it was actually criticized when it first came out. I think in '93. Yeah. But uh, if if you if you actually watch the film and you, you get beyond that, it's actually a very interesting um, depiction of a guy who's sort of having a breakdown. Mm-hmm. And he uh, ultimately, you know, he, 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 as he's going through, uh, he basically this is this, the one day journey of this guy, this guy called Defense. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Foster is actually his name. Okay. And he's all he's trying to do is get home for his daughter's birthday. Uh, his daughter's having a birthday in, uh, I think, uh, in Santa Monica. And uh, he his car uh, his car didn't break down. He actually he's actually stuck in in traffic, mm-hmm. and the very first scene is him just getting so pissed off and you know enraged because he's stuck in this damn traffic and it's hot, and he just he just has this meltdown. He just leaves his car uh, and he walks off the freeway, uh-huh. and uh, and he sort of encounters he sort of breaks from the usual routine that we all do. You know, we're commuting, going back and forth to work. We pass communities and we pass people. We pass environments that would be foreign to us if we actually walk through them. If we actually, if we actually encounter the people that live there, because we're sort of in these encapsulated, you know, these these encapsulated cars or, or you know trains or whatever we, we use. And so, sure. it's sort of him sort of being taken out of his element and thrust into uh, Los Angeles at, at the time, uh, and sort of his his uh, his encounters. And there's a there's a great line at the very end. Where uh, he uh, he's being pursued by a cop uh, played by uh, Robert Duvall, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, he says uh, he says I'm the bad guy. And it, it's a it's a fascinating it's a fascinating line because you know he he doesn't see himself as a villain. He's he's just this guy that's been pushed around. He's recently lost his job, and and suddenly he's being seen by other people and by society and certainly by this cop as the bad guy. He's and he's like, I've done everything they told me to do. Um, you know, I, I followed the rules. You know, I, I pay my mortgage. You know, I, I, I pay my taxes. I'm a good guy. You know, I do everything they tell me to do. And yet uh, the, the American dream uh, eludes him. So um, I'm just ranting at this point. But no, it's- no, it's great. You know, I saw that movie shortly after it came out. Uh, both of these are going on, on the Netflix queue. i got to check them out. Uh, I'm wondering... You know, when I, when I watch Falling Down again, you know, when I watched it before, I must have been in my 20s, 
Mm-hmm. I'm 46 now. I'm wondering how my, you know, seeing it from my age now, how is that, how that's going to affect how I see the movie? Because I'm going to be closer to the guy's age, I think. So right, yeah. and, and the the other, the other interesting aspect of it is that uh, it, it's it is very much a, a movie set in its time. I mean, it was actually filmed just uh, just um, just before the L.A. riots. In fact, they they. It almost interrupted filming because they, <laughs> that all that was ha- was going on like literally at that time, mm-hmm. and so I think he, on on a broad scale it's sort of a it's an interesting examination of the American dream and about how it fails us in many ways, mm-hmm. but it, it also reflects very clearly uh, the social and uh, and racial anxieties in the mid '90s, much of the way that the movie Crash, um, the, the more recent film Crash did mm-hmm. as well. So it's um. Yeah, it's just a cool film. So, what's coming up for you? What's in your future? What's what's in the hopper? Uh, th- this is where I'm. I, I play psychic, right? What's in my future? <laughs> um, I got a couple things coming up. Um, I I have a book, uh, co-author book coming out. I think in July, uh, with Robert Bartholomew uh, on media panics and hoaxes, sort of like the world, the war of the worlds type stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Are I have you a covering brand- the war of the world. Yes, it, 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 yeah, it includes that. Um, uh, to be honest with you, I've forgotten the title. I think it's something like um, The Martians Are Invading a Colorful History of Media Panics and Hoaxes or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'll be, uh, I think, in, in, in July or August. Um, this, that, that's coming up. I have a brand spanking new website called uh, BenjaminRadford.com, which is easy to remember because that's my name. Yeah. Uh, and there you can find uh, my books and articles that I've written and a couple of short films and, of course, uh, the, the, the board game Playing Gods, which I made a couple of years back. Oh, cool. Uh, and uh, let's see. I, um, I have a uh, contract. Uh, this is – I haven't really told anybody this, but I'll tell you. Okay. Um, I've been I've, – uh, I just signed a contract the other day for – with the University of New Mexico Press to publish my Chupacabra book mm-hmm. for a book on New Mexico Mysteries. Oh. Uh, it's it's due at the it's due at the uh, I think deadline is I think in February. So that's uh, I got to crank away yeah. on that book. You get uh, to work, young man. I get to work. Yeah, I'll be um, actually, and I'll be I'll be uh, here very shortly in the next week or so. I'll actually be giving I'll be doing a, a tour in on the West Coast. I'll be stopping in um, Los Angeles, San Diego, uh, Seattle, uh, Vancouver, and Kelowna, British Columbia, uh, and I'll be doing some talks and workshops there. Uh, in case anybody wants to come out there and they're around, and uh, I will also be at uh, at uh, Tam the the Randy meeting uh, and Tam the Dragon nine from Cup. Outer Space. Tam nine from Outer Space. I'll be I'll be doing a workshop there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be giving a talk uh, later this year uh, for the actually the um, the American Folklore Society. I'll be giving a talk on the folklore of the Chupacabra, <laughs> of all things. <laughs> well, uh, you know, talk about what you know. Yeah, well, you know, apparently, apparently, I'm the only guy that really knows the stuff. So there's that coming out. I'll be at Camp Inquiry, which is a summer camp for kids, critical thinkers, uh, in early August. And there's also a Psychop conference uh, in New Orleans at the end of October. Well, so uh, other than I'm that, here, not much. Other, other, other than that, I'm just uh, I'm just sitting back, uh, cracking a beer, and watching the day go by. With all that, you found time to squeeze in a little talk with me. I really appreciate it, Benjamin. It's just fantastic. I'm really glad that I was able to talk to you. Well, great. I appreciate it's being on. Good to talk to you. Wasn't that great? That was Ben Radford. Uh, it was so great to have him on the show. I'm I'm glad he found time to to squeeze me into his his man. He's got a busy schedule. I don't know how Good he night. does that. Good night, Frau Blucher.
Well, we've come to another end of uh, Dimland Radio. Well, this was probably my best show since well, the last one. So uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and thanks again to Ben Radford. Remember, yeah, yeah, horses. Remember to be skeptical, and uh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Um, what else? Uh, this is Dimland Radio here on the Z Talk Radio Network. I'm your host, Jim Doctor Fit, uh, Jim Doctor Dim Fitzsimmons, reminding you to sleep with the lights off. We'll see you guys next week. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. Well, I'm going to hell.